Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Today, we are thrilled to have Jennifer Davis, the Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs at Dell Technologies on the show. Jennifer, also known as JJ, has spent over 20 years at Dell collectively and currently oversees all aspects of global communications and corporate social responsibility. JJ started her public relations and public affairs career at the Arkansas office of the governor and has held various communications leadership roles for both corporations and agencies nationwide. In 2010, she founded Dell's marquee women's program, the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network, to support women entrepreneurs and their success worldwide. In this conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer, JJ discusses Dell's approach to ESG, the inextricable link between innovation and sustainability, and how doing the right thing as a company can attract and retain top talent. Please enjoy this conversation with Dell's Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs, Jennifer JJ Davis. Hello and welcome back. This is Paul Dyer with Lippy Taylor. Lippy Taylor is a digital communications agency that was named the most outstanding mid-sized PR firm by PR Week in both 2021 and 2022. We help and we specialize in helping brands revitalize their relevance amid the changing media landscape and evolving audience demographics. I'm joined here today with JJ Davis. JJ, thank you so much for um, giving us your time today. Absolutely. Thrilled to be here. So, JJ, you have been a longstanding member of the communications team at Dell. Um, I think there was actually a little bit of a a honeymoon in the middle, a break in the middle at one point. But um, otherwise, it's been, you know, the majority of your um, very successful career. Can you maybe just kind of give us the the play-by-play? Like, uh, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Sure. So, um... I am from Arkansas originally and a Razorback graduate and loyal fan. Um, And I actually got my start in government. So when I graduated college, of course, I'm dating myself. Bill Clinton was in the White House and it was an amazing time to be a young Democrat in Washington. Um, And and I think that early 20 something start to my career in politics, both at the national and state level, Uh, really led to my love of public affairs and what I get to do every day um, at Dell, which is really connect people, profit, and purpose. Um, And so after kind of moving around to various government and PR jobs, both in-house and at the agency, on on the agency side, I came to Dell in December of 2000 and kind of grew up at the company. It's been the one constant in my adult life, I'd say. Um, I got married and had three sons in the in my tenure at Dell, and I was always in the communications department. I think my simplest job title is problem solver or dot connector, and and we'll talk, I know, today about what it means to be in corporate affairs and communications today and how much has changed as you think about elevating corporate character going even beyond managing and protecting corporate reputation. So Dell is extremely entrepreneurial. We're a founder-led company, and it just creates such an amazing opportunity to grow your career and and know that every day you're having an impact for your customers, your teams, and your communities. 
Well, that's great to hear. And, and I love the, the connection to politics. Um, it does actually seem to be a common thread um, for people who come on our show, um, which means people who have achieved that top job, you know, in their company, um, you know, uh, having more of that public affairs, corporate affairs background, um, in addition to simply communications. Um, of course, this is a very large industry and most of the people that um, work in it um, are not necessarily specialists in public affairs. Um, do you want to maybe just talk a little bit about maybe even some of the differences between those two areas, public relations versus public affairs, and and sort of how you see, if you were to advise somebody as they're charting their own career and they haven't had a chance to work in the Clinton White House, like what does that mean for them when it comes to public affairs? Yeah, well, I think that Partnering across communications and government affairs is so critical. And when I interned in Washington, um, I got to see firsthand kind of how things worked. And that's really important. When you think about what we're trying to drive out of corporate affairs now, it's not only what you say, but it's the action or the change that you're trying to drive. And so how is it what the government affairs team is doing to try to either react to policy that is positive or negative for the company or be proactive to advance um, an issue that's critical to the company or to our customers, how we work together and extend that then into inside the beltway communication strategies. How do you think about spokesperson training so that you look across, how do you prepare someone to testify versus speak to a investor potentially or a member of the media or industry analysts? Each of those stakeholder groups are different, but you want to make sure you have consistent messaging and you're managing stakeholders across the board and hopefully turning them into advocates. So I spend a ton of time with my GA and IR counterparts. And then you think about even post-COVID and all the infrastructure investment, not just in the United States, but around the world that's flowing. How do you influence how that those dollars are getting invested? A lot of it's going into infrastructure and technology, which is good for our business. How do we work together to get the word out on the technology solutions that Dell can bring forward to help the public and private sector as they go modernize their IT or figure out the solutions they need to enable the future of work? So everything is so interconnected now. It's a really interesting point. And, and for our listeners who don't specialize or come from the technology industry, it may be surprising to hear you talk about technology investment as infrastructure, because typically we think of infrastructure in a more sort of dated, you know, like roads and bridges and, you know, um, things that you, uh, that you make and walk on, or, you know, um, as opposed to um, the technology that is needed to compete in the space race and et cetera. So I'm curious, you know, when you think about the role of Dell with infrastructure, you know, is this in something you guys have been talking about internally for a long time? Has this been a recent transition? Well, I mean, Dell Technologies, um, our vision is to be the most essential technology provider in the world. And we have two business units. One is called the Infrastructure Solutions Group. That's the back-end uh, multi-cloud solutions, what we do with edge computing, um, servers and storage. So the back-end infrastructure that enables business continuity, as an example, um, or really helps the world run. 
Then we have our client solutions group, which is what you and I know. We see Dell on our PCs every day. Um, those, that's our PC business. And it's those two things together that help us deliver with, with services and software, the experience that our customers really need from their technology partner. I give you that background to say, yeah, we have been on this journey for a very long time. We're, we turned 39 this year. And while we started out as a PC company, we've been operating as um, an essential technology provider for a very long time. Let me try to bring that to life a little bit from an infrastructure perspective. Think about broadband. Do you remember in 2020 when all of us went home and we had to learn from home and work from home? And you saw these stories of kids in the parking lot on their laptops that the school had issued to them because they couldn't get high-speed internet at home. And so, you know, the opportunity to get high-speed internet or 5G to the most rural parts of America or into the most condensed urban areas. How do you make sure that people and kids and teachers have the technology and the connectivity they need, but then how do you connect that to the skill building to ensure that everybody has the skills to fully participate in the digital economy? And what role does the community play to help enable and deliver those skills and those support services? That is a big way that we um, can contribute from an ESG perspective as we think about our commitment to our communities, but it's also business critical for us to help our customers enable that. So it's a business opportunity as well. And you started out, you know, by saying your job is at the intersection of people, purpose, and profit. And you've kind of brought that to life for us there, um, you know, with that um, response on, you know, infrastructure. But the other thing, and I do want to talk more about ESG here, but mm-hmm. something as you were speaking that, I don't know, just sort of um, sparked is you have a very clear sense of communication about what is a very complicated business and a big picture biz- you know, vision for what Dell is trying to be. And then you were able to give us an anecdote, right? That was a really specific and relatable anecdote that brings it down to, to earth most people who are listening to this are in the job where that's kind of what they're trying to figure out. How do we sell a big vision? How, how do we com- communicate a very complicated business and then make it relatable in the, in the, in the fine, you know, sort of details. So I'm, what I'm, what I'm curious about, first of all, is how often do you revisit that? Is it the kind of thing where you're like, we've got this set and there's a, it's an engine and, you know, we just kind of keep going with it. Or do you need to be revisiting that constantly? Like, what does it look like the planning process to get to the level of clarity you just shared with us? Well, I think it's always changing, but you know, just like you don't change your strategy every other minute, you can't change your story every other minute. What you have to do is deliver context and depth to the story, I think. So we have something in our company and it's kicking off as we speak called our strategy cascade. And so Dell Technologies purpose is to create technologies that drive human progress. And then I already mentioned our vision to be the most essential technology provider in the world. And we have a strategy underneath that to help us achieve that purpose and vision. And that strategy has been pretty consistent over the last several years as you think about how are we modernizing our core businesses, as I talked about, around our PC business and our infrastructure business, but how are we looking ahead to net new growth opportunities like in edge computing or telecommunications, which is such a big opportunity on the back of 5G and more more connectivity around the world as an example. 
And so I mentioned that to say we have a really rigorous process on how we educate internally our team members so that each of us can see ourselves in the company strategy and we understand it and can articulate it, which makes my job as a communicator a lot easier because then I can take that knowledge and that simplicity because we're educating our internal audiences and stakeholders. And then we turn that into how we represent that in the marketplace. And we work closely for how we show up during earnings, as an example, how that carries into our marquee events like Dell Technologies World with our biggest customers coming up in May. What is that bridge then to a media and analyst event we do in the fall? And how do we just constantly add texture to the story and then we have to give examples like I'm a I'm not technical. I don't understand how all this stuff works. I'm not an engineer, but that actually benefits our storytelling because I can help articulate it in a way that, you know, my mom can understand. Yep. That's the classic, you know, fe- features versus benefits. The engineers will tell you all the features, but you will have no right. idea why they matter. Right? right. And And your job, of course, our jobs is to talk about why they matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you brought, you, you brought up ESG. Um, this is the kind of thing that I feel like historically, you know, was more sort of campaign driven. Um, you of course have, have been involved with a number of things and been outspoken about the circular economy, et cetera. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that in Dell's goals and how that relates to your ESG platform. Sure. So we formed corporate affairs at Dell um, about two years ago, where we brought ESG into the communication function to form corporate affairs. So while we have been driving circular economy for a long time as part of our sustainability strategy, we're pretty new. ESG at this game, I mean, we've been doing um, circular economy work for a long time. I can remember when we launched our recycling services over 20 years ago. Um, we have a partnership with Goodwill called Reconnect, where you can take all of your old electronics and they will dispose or recycle them responsibly, make sure they do that in a secure way. So we have deep relationships and consumer services. We also have asset recovery services on the commercial side to ensure that we can dispose, recycle, reuse equipment in the circular economy. As an example, we've been doing this a long time, but we didn't know to call it ESG really until just recently. Um, What we've also done is we've done away with anything too cute, any campaign or slogan. Like we used to call our ESG efforts progress made real. And within ESG, we have Um, some core pillars that make up our strategy. So advancing sustainability, inclusive workplace, transforming lives through technology, primarily in the areas of education and healthcare, and then underpinned by, you know, doing business with ethics and privacy top of mind. We called that progress made real. We have now just called it our ESG 2030 framework and set of goals And within that set of goals, we have priorities around circular economy and climate action, around digital inclusion. That kind of goes back to the example I gave around 5G and rural broadband and how we're enabling access to education and healthcare. And then how do we ensure that we bring um, security as the other side of the privacy coin into our ESG strategy to think about how do we uphold trust with all of our stakeholder groups? 
And ESG is now in that strategy map for the company I talked about. It's more integral into how we run the company. We now look at what we do, essential infrastructure, with who we are and our culture, because those two things can't be looked at separately. And no longer is ESG a nice to have or something we do out of the goodness of our hearts. It's integral because our customers demand it. And the world needs us to deliver more green technology or solutions that help our customers become more green. And and just for those who are listening and aren't familiar with the phrase circular economy, can you just explain sure. quickly what that is? Yes. So think about it like a circle. Something old becomes something new. Somebody's trash is somebody else's treasure. Within our ESG strategy, we have a goal by 2030 that for every product we sell, we will take back a like product. You could clean that product, if you will, and take it from a commercial um, installation to a school or a nonprofit where maybe they don't require the latest technology to run the latest app. Or if the technology is truly at end of life, you recycle that. You take all the parts of the server or storage array or PC and you put it into new servers and storage arrays and PCs. And so more and more we're tackling e-waste, not just through recycling, but for reuse. And the idea is how do you move away from needing virgin materials to using what's old and making it new again? And that's that's great. Thank you for explaining that. And and if you think about, you know, historically how we would have done these programs to support schools, et cetera, there would have been asks for the company to donate new new materials anyway. So it, right. it benefits, you know, everybody um, if you're able to do it. And it feels very much like it is, in fact, um, integral to the business. I mean, think we all probably saw the headlines last year when Unilever was called out by a major investor saying um, you've lost the plot when you're trying to come up with a brand purpose for Hellman's mayonnaise. Yeah. Right. And, and this feels instead very much like it is business integral. Well, I think what's most important is that anything you're driving out of ESG or even how you lend your advocacy on social issues is it has to be core to the business. Our customers don't expect us to weigh in or do something that isn't strategic to Dell. And so that's why we are focused on circular economy and climate as an example, because we have technology and solutions and services that can solve those problems and deliver value back to our customers. And so it is really key that when you are driving ESG strategies, that they're core and married up with the, the core business strategy. Well, and I think, you, you know, you've, you've just opened this door. It's a question I was going to ask you is sort of given the reach of Dell, given the aspiration to essentially be the most essential technology partner, you know, in the world, um, there are a lot of ESG and CSR opportunities out there. You just brought up social issues and lending your advocacy. There are a lot of those. You obviously have a diverse workforce. They will have certain perspectives on where they do and don't want their employer getting involved. You just use the filter of, is it important to our customers, right? How do you go about just choosing, focusing, filtering? Where are we going to weigh in and where are we not? Well, you have to think about your diverse set of stakeholders, end-to-end -end stakeholder management, like I talked about in partnership with investor relations and government affairs is critical for us. Um, as we look at 
our business priorities, you know, one of them within our ESG goals and across the company is our commitment to diversity inclusion, creating that inclusive workplace. We set annual goals and report on our progress toward 2030. Our goal is that 50% of our workforce by 2030 will be female. 40% of our managers globally by 2030 will be female in the United States. Um, 25% of our workers will be underrepresented minorities and 15% of our management because we don't have enough diversity in the tech sector. Uh, we need more skilled technology workers, not only in our industry, but our customers. Essentially, every business is a technology business these days. So you need that expertise. So D&I is critical to how we are able to hire the talent we need to best serve our customers. And I bring that up in this context to say, then you look at what issues do you lean in on and what set of questions do you ask yourselves when, when you're called by a reporter or you're asked to sign a letter or an amicus brief? It's like, well, is does this line up to our business strategy and our ESG strategy? And should we or shouldn't we lend our advocacy? I mean, one thing I say all the time is, if you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. And there's actually no expectation from our customers that we'd weigh in on things that really aren't relevant to us as an enterprise technology company. So we have a very rigorous process where we vet, you know, every stakeholder request of us. We're very transparent internally with our team members because it's not just meeting the needs of customers, but also team members. We're really good, I think, at speaking to the audience that we need to speak to. Like, I'm not chasing headlines. I don't care if we're in the news about some of these issues. What it's about is do our customers and team members primarily have the information they need to decide do they want to work here or buy from us? And even if a team member doesn't agree with the ultimate decision we make about how we're going to weigh into an issue or not, they understand the process, they know it's consistent, and they know it's no one person's personal opinion, but a very standardized approach across the board where you're able to take your personal politics or feelings, if you will, out of it. You know, that it sounds really, really simple when you put it like that. But we all know, of course, these issues can be a little bit hairy in practice. Um, It's uh, There's two things I just want to pull out that you said in the last few minutes. You know, one was you're talking about ESG and you said, um, you know, if it's too cute, then we got rid of it. Right. And I I think that's just something I want to highlight for our listeners. Like the cutesy platforms and taglines are really they're, they're more likely to get you in trouble than they are to, to you know, take you the right place. And, and then just now you said you don't chase headlines for this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just as one example of that, where I, I would give credit where credit's due here, um, you know, Dell, I mean, was way ahead of the curve with Dwen. I don't know what Dwen is mm-hmm. you know, up to these days, but the Dell yeah. Women's Entrepreneurial Network was, was way ahead of the curve in, in the technology industry, um, which is still, you know, struggling with not being, um, as an industry, very representative for women. Um, so first of all, I'm just curious, um, is Dwen still around? And then <laughs> beyond the commitments that you've outlined, um, you know, what is the state of sort of women in leadership for Dell? And how do you think about that as you speak to people from other companies, et cetera? Sure. So the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network, we started back in 2010 to give women the access to technology networks 
um, and knowledge that they needed, not to just reach a million dollars, but a billion. How do you help more female companies be the next unicorn? And I don't, I mean, we haven't made nearly enough progress there, but I don't run that program anymore. It's run out of our small business marketing team because one of the most important things is when you incubate an idea, you got to also recognize that, you know, when the program is outgrown, what you can actually do out of communications and it needs to go into the business to be able to scale. And so I'm really proud of where that initiative is. And we continue to focus on um, supporting our female founders in unique ways beyond just what solutions we have to sell to them. And um, it was really ahead of its time and, and is a piece of how we deliver on our ESG or DNI um, commitments. And so, you know, if we're going to reach our goals, whether it's women or underrepresented minorities, you've got to get more diverse talent in right out of college. And you've got to make sure that women, for example, make it past middle management and continue to scale their careers. So I mentioned that I'm a mom. Um, my husband was an entrepreneur. We have three sons, 13, 16, and 19. I have flexible work at Dell, so I can live my life. You know, I work to live, not the other way around. And so I think this idea of flexible work, which Dell also was early in pioneering way before the pandemic, it's not about if you work from home or if you work from the office and if you have to go in or not. It's about your work um, being an outcome, not a place. And I think for women uh, and for people that maybe don't want to move to Austin, Texas, but they want to stay in their hometown, wherever they live. That's going to help us get more diversity into the tech sector. And I think it's going to help us move more diverse people, women, people of color up through the ranks because proximity to headquarters no longer has to be you know, important to progress your career. I think this is, it's great to hear you saying this and from a company of Dell's scale and impact. Um, it's interesting from my perspective, I've worked from home part of the time in every job I ever had. So this was yeah. never a question, you know. And our founder, of course, Maureen Lippi, was a female CEO at a time when that was was rare. And yeah. so this is very close to our hearts here. Um, one of the things she talks about frequently is the importance of mentorship. When you talk about women breaking through the layers of middle management, that's oftentimes where you reach these moments where somebody really has to help you just navigate. You know, what does it mean to go from being a great doer to a great, great leader of people? So how do you how do you advise people when they say this all sounds great jj i would love to get there i don't really know how to find a mentor or somebody that could help me do it it's got to be a mentor and a sponsor you know i've had both throughout my career so who's going to help you and teach you things and then who's going to help you break through the barrier and really sponsor you as you move up so they can speak for you so it's really got to be both. And, you know, now at my level and in my career, if someone ever asks me for a one-on-one, -on -one, I never turn them down. I will give them my advice and it's up to them to do with it what they want to. I mentor and sponsor people inside and outside of the company and share my story pretty openly. And there were two people in particular, Dell, getting from director to that executive level, that's a big jump and it takes time. And you've got to make sure you have a really solid development plan and you know where you're going and then you enlist help to get there. And, you know, I had two people really key in helping me achieve that. And I want to do that for the next generation. 
Um, and sometimes I've got to just open the door and speak for someone so they can have a chance at their next opportunity. I would also say for women in this, I don't know the source of this statistic, but something like if women only have, if women think they have to have 10 out of the 10 criteria to go for a job where men, if they have three out of the 10, they're like, hell yeah, I'm going to get this job. I'm <laughs> overqualified. You know, how do you just go for it? Whether you have 10 out of the 10 criteria or not, put yourself out there even if you don't get the job, you're going to learn something from the experience and be better prepared next time an opportunity comes your way. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So, all right, I have one final question okay. for you here. You know, we've been talking a lot about people, but Dell is a technology company that yes. has a front row seat to the latest and cutting edge, you know, developments in artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So uh, the question is, what do you think AI is going to do to the communications industry? Well, um, you know, obviously, ChatGPT is a huge focus and big conversation. I've got a whole team with our agency looking at that right now. And what does it mean for us? A lot of us are playing around with it. I will say if we never have to write a press release from scratch again and can use AI to do that and then the humans come in and make it better, like, wouldn't that be a treat? Um, so I think... Artificial intelligence in service of humans is key. How do you take more of that mundane work, let the computers do that for you so you can bring in your art to the science? And so that's how we really think about it is technology is in service of people. And so AI and ML, whether that's being built into the technology um, hardware we build or the services and solutions we develop, the services we provide or how we're using other people's AI to do our jobs better as communications, bring it on. We need to embrace it. We continue to move our way through different industrial revolutions and AI ML is going to really help us be better at the work that we do. And I think it's um, exciting for the communications field. And one thing our CTO at Dell, John Rose, says is every single executive in the company should have an AI project of some kind because it's the future. Oh, that's very interesting. And and for those listening who don't know, ML stands for machine learning, where the computers get smarter over time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, JJ, this has been great. Thank you very much for sharing your time and your insights with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor, that's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us and our agency, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.